Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Whether you are listening over at pathtozion.com or watching the video here on our YouTube channel, welcome along for today's edition. Um, we are going to talk about a topic that I believe has just been primarily overlooked, which is what we try to do a lot here. And, and my hope is that in this, um, just kind of highlighting it and bringing it to the surface, just to instigate some questions uh, for all of us to consider. Um, when we look at the word of Elohim and we try to follow the pattern and, and the timeline of how Yahweh, the Almighty, um, how he worked alongside men. We talk a lot about covenant here. We talk a lot about how he has always desired a people. And so we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, to recorded history. Um, and we're going to look at four specific things that showed up what? As you see in the title, before Mount Sinai. Sacrifices, offerings, altars, and clean animals. And so while many people that study and, and know the Bible would, would readily admit um, there are many biblical principles that appear at the very beginning of humanity. There are some things that happen that, that we just see men doing. Um, and it would seem that these events, for the most part, I would say, don't really garner much attention uh, as far as asking why are they doing these things. Um, I myself am a, a very perfect example of this. I was, of course, raised Christian. Um, I heard endless sermons that um, spoke to matters of, of creation through Abraham and, and God creating a people um, with Israel. And, of course, everything pointing to Messiah and the cross. And then somehow we're a new people now. Um, I became a youth pastor and I taught what I had been taught. And I made my way through all kinds of denominations and beliefs. But I don't have any memory um, in that span of my life, which crossed over 40 plus years, 45 years, um, I don't have any memory of anyone bringing to light what I would like to do today um, in this Before Mount Sinai series. So thankfully, today there are many men that I'm aware of um, that are educated very well towards this principle. Um, what I'm going to say is in no way unique to me. Um, <laughs> you may know already there are, are lists endless lists of teachings out there towards what I'm going to present today that will be in much more depth than what I will probably endeavor to tackle today. But my hope is to spark some inquiry in all of us um, to get you, depending on where you are in your journey, to allow the scriptures to reveal some more overlooked patterns um, that I feel are very deserving of our attention. And if we rightly appropriate them, will absolutely have to cause us to say, you know what, why? Why were these men tending to these things long before Mount Sinai, the, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments? Why were, why were these men doing this? Now, many things that we see throughout the timeline of biblical history are seemingly in place for men like Adam, um, Cain and Abel, Jacob, Noah, and others, but simply lack preceding details. Um, for example, we constantly see men erecting altars, bringing offerings, um, but we're not told specifically uh, beforehand how they knew to do so, how these men were given specifically the ability to know that that is what is required of, 
uh, a set-apart man of Elohim. Um, it's almost as if we should already know when we read the text. It's, it's almost like we as readers should join into what the men who are performing these things seem to know, which is this is the way it's always been for Yahweh's people. Because it's not spelled out the same, I think we have a hard time getting to the place of rightly understanding what was taking place and how, what these men were really doing and why. Um, in many cases, what we see spelled out clearly in the Ten Commandments um, or books like Leviticus show up much, much earlier, and we will see that if we pay attention. So this time around, what we're going to do is topically approach uh, this fact, these, these concerns, these questions. Um, it will by no be- means be exhaustive. Um, we're not going to tackle every single um, principle that is, is an example in the Word that preceded Mount Sinai. This took me hours and hours to compile these six pages of um, typed-out text in commentary, compiling scripture after scripture after scripture um, to make sure this was um, rightly presented to the best of my limited ability. Um, And so my hope is that we will start thinking and thereby ask some questions. And as we ask questions about what was, I think it better postures us to understand what is. And if we can understand who men of faith were that preceded us, men who were counted righteous by Yahweh himself, Maybe we'll figure out how we today can be righteous in our epoch of time, so many generations removed. Now, all the way back in Genesis chapter 26, we see a major key to launch us into today's consideration. Yahweh chooses this man, Abram, and he gives him a a wonderful covenantal promise, which says this, In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so here's this fact, this very powerful statement. Any one of us would would be beyond privilege to ever hear the Father speak to us in such a manner. So this man, Abraham, who was chosen, handpicked by, by the Creator, says, In your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why comes right after this? Because Abraham obeyed my voice. Because Abraham kept my charge. Because Abraham obeyed my commandments, because Abraham obeyed my statutes, because Abraham obeyed my laws. Okay, so just to get to the heart of the matter of what I'm presenting, what was Abraham obeying? What voice, what charge, what commandments, what statutes, and what laws? When did Abraham walk the earth in the timeline of history? He was, of course, we're not trying to be snarky here. He was, of course, before Mount Sinai. So thereby we have just a, a, this is kind of a, a summary of what we will dive into and dissect in parts. Um, the Abraham, a set-apart man of faith and action and works, was chosen by Yahweh for a purpose because he obeyed charge. He kept my charge, which is it's kind of temple talk. It's sacrificial talk, high priestly function, action. But he kept my commandments, my statutes, my laws. He obeyed my voice. So he was, he was obeying something. We have to ask the question, well, how did he know what to obey? How did Abraham know what laws to obey? What statutes to obey? How did he have commandments to obey? 
Because again, we're not, we do not see them spelled out clearly. We know he easily um, came before the events of Mount Sinai. And so here we are, so many thousands of years removed, and we have been told that we are to receive the promises of being ones in the seed of Abraham. Abraham's seed. So was Abraham keeping the written Torah? Had the Torah been given? Had the Ten Commandments been given? We have to ask these questions. There was something that preceded what we have drawn a line in the the timeline of humanity to dispensationalize um, epochs of time and generational covenants. We've really complicated things by selecting where we fall when Abraham himself easily preceded the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So, to be clear, so what were these uh, commandments, statutes, laws? Was Abraham under a burdensome system way back then um, that kept him in some sort of bondage? We would say, no, he wasn't. We've, I've never heard a sermon on that. I've heard how you know, the sacrificial system for the Jews was this burdensome law that no man could bear, so that's why Jesus came. But I've never heard anybody say that Abraham was in some burdensome, filthy rags, works um, generation as he kept Yahweh's commands, statutes, and laws. I've never heard that before. That would be foolishness. And that's part of the issue of why we're bringing this to the surface, because this will this will help us walk further away from the lies that we've inherited from Christian doctrine fathers, okay? In my opinion. Um, we know that sin existed from the fall of first Adam. And what is sin according to the word? Whether you read the Older Testament or the newer, it is it is easy to predict. Um what we know what we know sin is to be for us in our future days that are left here on the earth because it's been told to us what it has always been and with sin is lawlessness makes its way all the way into the newer testament to say so and so i want to suggest that yahweh was not always giving out brand new laws to men like noah Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then even Moses on Mount Sinai, that these were not new laws, and this helps us understand. This helps us understand. This points directly to the study we did um, a couple months ago now, the Olam series. This is not a, a, okay, so we have, what we have inherited is, here is a law, a a set of commandments, and Yahweh established this for them, and then time passes, there's new people, so Yahweh eradicates this, gets rid of it, and creates a new dispensation of law, commandments, covenant for this people. And then, thousands of years later, there's a new one, and this one is eradicated. And that's, of course, the error that, that, that we try to expose with regularity here in saying that Jesus actually contradicted his own words, which he came to abolish and get rid of. A, a dispensational law. We know that he was he was expanding the understanding and building covenant, 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 covenant to a fulfilled status for the ingathering of the nations that's yet before us, leading to New Jerusalem. So I want to propose that these are expansions and personalized application of existing covenantal ways. 
laws, statutes, commandments that were given even to Abraham himself and his covenantal offspring, his covenantal seed, which you and I may or may not be a part of. I would like to say I am, and I'm venturing to solidify that with, with each passing day. That being said, I would like to say at Mount Sinai specifically, um, Yahweh was merely giving a, a systemized formal version of his pre-existent law so that it could be used to specifically govern this prophesied nation of Israel, a set-apart, holy nation, priesthood. We know the verbiage. We understand in part, most, most of us do, the, the prophesied coming together of the, of the tribes and the dispensational, or the, um, um, oh, what's the word? I can't even think of it right now. Anyway, the, the coming together of the scattered ones, the, the, the scattering of the nations, Yahweh is going to gather us all back together for a one man, one kingdom, one king reality. Okay? We know that that is what is before us. And we know that the Torah will go out from Zion. Father's covenantal ways that were, were given to these men long, long ago have continued all the way through time and continued out the other way, the other side of Yeshua Messiah himself, into us today and into the future age. It is a perpetuity that we talked a lot so much about in the Olam series, um, that Father's ways are eternal. They're wonderful. And why are they wonderful and eternal? Because they're perfect. We have been told the Torah of Yahweh Elohim is perfect. Perfect. How many things do we know is perfect? I say that every time it comes up. Reviving the soul. Okay? Perfection. So, therefore, the four primary things that we are covering here, and I break, I'm breaking up into two parts for two parts, will be sacrifices and offerings, which we are about to tackle. And part two will be altars and clean animals. Okay? All four of these are directly related um, to one another. They are inseparable. All existed long before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, okay? If we can find and highlight repeated, repeated examples in the Bible, we must ask why did these men know these things, okay? What did these men know? The men of ancient old now, old ancient times, okay? Not the apostles, not the disciples, okay? <laughs> long, long ago, what did these men know and how did they know it? Um, what did these men know that we simply do not have spelled out for us within the biblical canon that we have inherited? Okay. First and foremost, can we just say they obviously knew something? They knew a pattern of living to be Yahweh's people. They knew that. So the first two we're going to tackle, sacrifices and offerings. I will tell you right now that we're going to end this part one here in, in probably 10, 15 minutes or more um, with a whole bunch of scriptures, if you just let me get to that point. And then part two is chock full of verse after verse after verse after verse as we talk about um, clean animals and altars. And again, these you could pick any order of these. Um, they could be sequential and different in any differing way and all have the exact same purpose to point to something that has always been intact long before Mount Sinai. Now we have to note that burnt offerings and sacrifices were were absolutely inseparable. Yet I do think that it's um, it also needs clarified 
that all sacrifices are offerings, but not all offerings are sacrifices. Now, let me clarify. At least not likely what comes to mind when I say sacrifice to a general audience, okay? We have been told sacrifices, and if, if I say, what is a sacrifice? Most of us, especially if we're talking like old ancient Bible days, most of us would say, or at least envision, an animal losing its life, bloodshed, and an altar, okay? Most of us would envision a lamb. Most of us would envision a bull, if we know anything about the, the temple system, the tabernacle sacrificial system, it was, of course, inundated with an animal sacrifice process. Okay, That is, of course, easy to understand. But what, what I mean by saying that they, they, I, do, I do believe there are, are also distinguishable is we have, we have likely all inherited a belief system that told us that Jesus fulfilled and did away with all of this, the offering and sacrificial system, right? We've heard that our whole life. But it would do us well to make sure that we rightly understand that there was much more to offerings than the death of an animal, okay? There was much more to the entire um, consideration of bringing an offering, a thank offering, a grain offering, a wave offering, there, there are these, there are these layers and and options, if you will, of bringing an offering and bringing a sacrifice to Yahweh, that are beyond merely the shedding of blood. Okay, and it, we that is a whole other large compartment of thought um, that we are not even going to touch today, uh, for the sake of time. Now, all the way back to Genesis chapter four, we hear. Of offerings, okay. Genesis four. Now we're barely into the beginning of humanity's generations upon the earth. Of course, most of us have heard the account of the brothers Cain and Abel for our entire lives, um, but few consider delving deep into the fact that they somehow knew they had an inherited understanding of the need for offerings. Okay, the proper Hebrew. Use of the word offering here is not complicated. It can be best explained simply as gift. Okay, they were they were bringing a gift to the Creator. Now we know that only three chapters into the account of life as we all know it, okay, humanity on the earth is in its infantile stages. Yahweh Himself somehow we're moving on now. You know, well we're moving back and forth a little bit, but for a purpose. Yahweh made coats of skin in order to clothe Cain and Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, of course, after their rebellion, after their sin, after their, after their fall. Now, how is not clear. We're not spelled out exactly, Yahweh did this, Yahweh instated this, this is what happened, this is what took place. We're not told that. Basic assumption, I think it's safe to say we can assume that there was the death of an animal required. Yahweh could have done anything he wanted. I don't ever like to um, presume an absolute upon a text that is just simply not clear. Yahweh could have produced uh, skins of an animal just by speaking them into existence. Yes. I would propose, though, for consideration, a little seed of thought. What did Yahweh do? What did Adam do? Was there an offering made? 
that sacrificed an animal and Yahweh thereby on the other side of that used skins to clothe Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve's own attempt to clothe themselves was entirely insufficient. That's a whole other layer of the endless layers within this beginning of creation here. But we would assume there was the death of an animal involved. We can speculate as to how this transpired, but we're simply not told. So we will leave it at that for now. The Book of Jubilees, if you have any interest in reading that, and know it's just an expanded version of, of uh, the happenings of, of Genesis for the most part, it records that Adam made an incense offering the same day that they were banished from the garden on the outside of the now locked and guarded gates of Eden. Okay? Genesis 4, 4 speaks of Abel bringing Yahweh a first fruits offering. We know that the text clearly tells us that Abel raised what? He raised sheep. And so we, we see, again, this pattern over and over and ask this. I want us to keep asking this question. And we're going to read. When you read the word, once you see something and then you go back and you read the word, you start saying, oh, 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 my goodness, it's everywhere right? You see these patterns. You see these things that maybe we just did not see before. But as soon as Father through his spirit illuminates the word towards a certain specific matter, oh my, it's everywhere, right? And that's what I'm hoping this will spark for for all of us. Now, mentions of burnt offerings. We'll we'll move to Abraham again with Isaac. They're all over the account with, with Abraham taking his son up the mountain in order to be tested. The entire account is making it clear that sacrifices, offerings, altars, and what animals were even sufficient for these um, sacrifices were, for whatever reason, a normal part of Yahweh's set-apart people, again, before Mount Sinai. Now, the bulk of this consideration is actually going to land in the next part when we talk about altars, because we're really going to drive that one home also, because these things really show up in increasing measure when we're talking about Abraham. So let's read some highlights of this account specifically for proper contextual example, um, and we'll finish out this entire part one with nothing but Bible text, Bible text, uh, reference, 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 okay? Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 9, after these things Elohim tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, a great pattern. (laughs) He said, Yahweh, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose, and he went to the place of which Elohim had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. He sees where they're headed. There's some more layers of that, but we're not going to touch on that either. Do you know why he knew where they were headed? What did he see? These things are fascinating to study and to look into. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy are going to go over there. We're going to worship, and we're going to come back to you again. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, he laid it on his son Isaac. He took it in his hand, and the fire, and the knife. So they both, so both of them went on together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Okay? I'm going to point out I don't want to get ahead of myself. Abraham said, Elohim is going to provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which Elohim had told him, Abraham built the altar there. And he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Okay? On top of the burnt offering. Right? I have to mention, in case it's not in my notes and I don't want to forget about it, we see that Isaac was not confused here. Isaac was fully informed by knowledge he had received. I would promote, at the very least, he had been told by his father, this is what we do. I believe Abraham was told, this is how you serve Yahweh your Elohim. This is what you do. This is how you are set apart. This is how you please him. This is how you approach him. So, it's worth noting, pausing for just a mere minute, um, Isaac was going right along with his father, seemingly completely aware of what was happening and what was required. We have to ask, how did he know? Again, this is long before Mount Sinai and the giving, the giving of the law, okay? As we know, an angel of Yahweh in the middle of this uh, account here calls to stop the whole thing, and what happens next, verse 13 Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Okay? So here we have the burnt offering on the altar still takes place with a clean animal that Yahweh provided because Abraham knew Yahweh would provide a clean animal sufficient for a sacrifice as an offering upon the altar, okay? Abraham and Isaac. Time, time, time. Moses and Mount Sinai, giving of the law. Long span of time. We could do a bunch of math and numbers and all that. I'm not spending time doing that. I'm trying to stick to the bulk and the meat of the text. Genesis chapter 31, verse 54. Jacob, now, Jacob, moving through time, he offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. This was after he had done something interesting, which is he had made a heap of stones, which in Hebrew is known as a witness heap, or it's this memorial of stones to generally, in most cases, recognize a covenant. Okay? We know that, the, and we'll get to that with altars in part two, if you're not aware, this Mizbeach understanding. Now, this word is not Mizbeach, but it is talking about memorial stones. It is talking about markers. It is talking about this constant cycle of men throughout history, friend, who go to places, literal places, and they remember the works of Yahweh Elohim because of what they see according to where they're standing. Time and time again, we see this pattern of long, long ancient times ago, men doing memorials and altars, burnt offerings, sacrifices with clean, distinguishable, set-apart animals, okay? In Exodus chapter 3, right after Moses encounters the burning bush, he says this. Okay, we're moving through time, of course. Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of who? Abraham. Who? Isaac. Who? Jacob. He has appeared to me saying, quote, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. We'll skip to verse 16. 
They will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the Elohim of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness. Why? That we may sacrifice to Yahweh, our Elohim. That's verse 18. Okay, where are we? This is Exodus chapter 3. We are before Mount Sinai, and Yahweh's people are seeking freedom from their bondage and slavery, seeking freedom from bondage and slavery to go out and be free to worship Yahweh their Elohim. Why? To sacrifice to him. To bring a, a memorial, a, a pleasing aroma that would ascend to his nostrils and bring him glory and bring him honor from his people as he has designated, as he has designed for humanity from the very beginning. Exodus chapter 10, the Pharaoh tells Moses and Aaron, go, serve Yahweh, get out of here, right? We know how it went. Go, stay, go, stay, go, stay. <laughs> In this specific one, go, Exodus 10, go, serve Yahweh, but only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. In other words, you can go, but your animals, no, they're staying here with us. This is awesome. Moses responds that they're unwilling to go unless they can take all of their animals with them. We read the reason why. He says this. This is Moses' response to get out of here, but we're keeping your animals. You must also let us have sacrifices. You must also let us have burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to Yahweh, our Elohim. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve Yahweh, our Elohim. And we do not know with what we must serve Yahweh until we arrive there. I asked this question to my wife. I read this verse just mere hours ago, and I said, this alone we would camp out and just wonder and figure out what they're saying. We don't know with what we must serve Yahweh until we get to where we're going. Huh. I've got a lot of questions about that. Friend, do we read the word and we just follow and we follow and we study and we learn and we learn what? Principles and patterns that have been in place since Yahweh spoke humanity into existence by breathing life into his body that he formed out of the dirt and dust. It's incredible. This shows many things right here. The importance of clean animals the importance of sacrifices, the importance of burnt offerings before Mount Sinai. Where's, okay, let me ask, where's the temple? Where's the temple in Exodus chapter 10? Where's the sacrificial system in Exodus, Exodus chapter 10? We'll continue as we bring this part to a close. Moses' father-in-law Jethro. Now we're in Exodus chapter 18, verse 12. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to Yahweh. Okay, so here, now we have Moses' um, father-in-law. Okay, he's bringing a burnt offering and sacrifices to Yahweh. And Aaron's involved. He came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before Yahweh. Okay, so here's the question. What are they doing? What are they doing? 
We're, oh, is it is it a designated feast day? Well, when does that show up, friend? What book are we reading? Are we reading Leviticus? Are we reading Numbers? Friends, something was already intact. Many things were already in place for Yahweh's people before Mount Sinai. So we've touched on much as we bring part one to a close, but in no way all of the patterns that we see spelled out in Scripture to reveal that there has always been ordinances, statutes, laws, as we see from generation to generation, including Abraham and his seed. We have to keep highlighting because we know the promises of Abraham's seed, okay? And we have to just say, we talked about this, if you haven't checked it out, and I'm sure we already linked to it earlier. The Olam series, we tackle not just Olam, which is perpetual, ongoing, forever, as we talk about Yahweh's, what I said, this covenantal umbrella. We also talked about signs, signs of the covenant, oath. Signs of the covenant signify that we are, in fact, under the covering of, of the covenant. And it started with the rainbow. On the other side of the flood event, we know Yahweh hung a bow in the heavens, in the skies, as an oath, a reminder, a sign of the Olam covenant. And here we are again, talking about Abraham. We are told that circumcision was and is an oath, a sign of a perpetual covenant of Yahweh Elohim. In other words, there will be signs, there will be signifiers that we are, in fact, a set-apart covenantal people. And if we don't ascribe to at least considering that those are the case, then, friend, we have to ask the question, are we really in covenant? Because a covenant is a two-fold responsibility of both parties. I will, you will. That is what a covenant is. We have to understand that. And I mention that because we're talking about all these things that are all the way back to Abraham and his seed and even previous, prior, all the way back to creation. Why did Yahweh choose Abraham? Again, we have to highlight this because he obeyed. He obeyed, friend. Okay? He didn't just believe in God. He didn't just believe in God. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. No, faith is a substance, friend. Faith is a substance, and a substance requires action on the covenantal participants. Okay? Again, all before Mount Sinai. In absolute closing, hopefully, this will get us all starting to see that perhaps all this reason, reasoning that we've inherited within this dispensational distinction may just be a moot point after all. Maybe it's just man's futile attempts to compartmentalize Yahweh and his ways to figure out, well, who are we, though? Who are we? Who are we? We are Christians in Jesus. I don't see that. I don't see that in here. I don't see that in here. I see a perpetual, ongoing unfolding of a covenantal promise from a perfect covenantal Elohim to a covenantal people. Okay? So what was, is forever, I would say, it will forever be. As we know, even in the upcoming age, Father's Torah will go forth from Zion. How many times have you heard us say that here on the program? So we've bit off two of the four. We'll tackle another two in the next part. We're going to talk about altars and clean animals. 
So we've talked about sacrifices and offerings here today. For your consideration, where are you at um, towards this, friend? Have you understood? I am learning more as I've spent this time studying this out. I've learned more myself towards the wonderful, awesome, covenantal Father that I serve and love and want to know. And I find Him as I go back to the beginning before Mount Sinai. Thank you so much for watching. This is the Path to Zion podcast. Share this with anyone that you think it may help in their part of the journey, wherever they are. We are all in different places. Most of us are in first grade. We're thankful to be moving along. Thank you for joining us here on the program. Join in the conversation if you would like. Um, Reach out to us at pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and for watching. Amen.